welcome to the Practical Missions Podcast. I'm your host. You know, kind of the mission statement of the podcast is I interview and talk with people who aren't conference speakers, who haven't written any books, and who haven't seen any movement. I talk to normal people. I talk to the 95% of people on the ground doing the work, and today is no exception. I talk to a very normal person who is extraordinary. That's what I think is amazing about normal people is that in one sense, there are no normal people. We talk about raising your children without your parents, sexual harassment, trying to figure out how to rest and get away on the field and what the different stages or seasons of life look like on the field. I think you're really going to enjoy today's podcast. We all kind of know that the Middle East in one sense is a man's world, you know, the public sphere is for men of course like Mm. inside the houses maybe that's more the area for women maybe that's more the realm for women i'm not 100 percent sure because i actually as a single guy or as a guy i don't get invited to people's houses i almost maybe once or twice a year i'm in an arab's house you know it's very rarely but the challenges for women i think are so different for western women when they come out are so different than the challenges for western men did you experience any of these i mean you come from a progressive country and then you come to a very conservative and maybe restrictive culture for women what was that for you do you remember those early days what was that like for you yeah well i kind of knew what i was getting myself into i had had encounters with muslims our church was reaching out to a lot of ethnic groups so i kind of knew what i was getting myself into and i appreciated the early information or training of how to behave and what the cultural rules were and knowing the rules of the game before (laughs) starting the game kind of. So I appreciated that and I I don't think it was that difficult to me as long as I knew what was expected of me and it also helped knowing the mindset and the values of the culture that lay behind all the different restrictions and all the different rules of how to behave and how to dress and what not to do and so on. Yeah, that's interesting. Like the understanding why I'm doing this helps me to actually do it. What are some of those why reasons? One of them is for women, especially, that's the the most prized possession you as a woman hold is your honor. And your honor can easily be lost, but never regained. So everything you do has to do with regaining this honor and showing that I am an honorable woman by the way I dress, by whom I'm interacting with, by how I'm interacting with people. And so much has to do with kind of just keeping this honor intact, not allowing people to question it. What is this honor? What It seems a bit uh, theoretical. What, what, what do you mean when you say this honor, to keep this honor? Well, that you're a modest and you're not a loose woman. You are, you are pure and you submit to your father or to the men that you are under and you are fulfilling your duty as a daughter or a wife or whatever your role is. But a lot of it has to do with sexual purity. So it's kind of like conforming to what the culture expects of a woman in areas of modesty and purity. So as long as you're keeping face in these areas, you're respected. Yes. I think this is very fascinating because the idea, so this is you know how society is, is viewing you. And of course, in the West, one of the highest 
values that we have is, you know, don't worry about what other people are thinking about you. Of course, nobody actually lives like that, you know, in the in the end. But it's just kind of like you do you, you dress however you want, you say whatever you want, you act however you want. Uh, how do how do you think like Arabs view Western women? Well, it's a good question. They might never tell you the answer to that to your face. But what I've heard is that they believe that Western women are as they see it on TV. For example, TV show Friends. That's how Western women, all Western women are like. How do you deal with those stereotypes as a believer, as a modest person? Do you find that those stereotypes of Western women as being kind of loose and maybe without morals and without any sort of faith or belief in God, do you find that to be a barrier as you interact with the people in the culture? Like, do they look at you and think like, this is Western woman, therefore she has no morals and she has no religion. Yeah, that's probably the first impression that they have. So we have to work even harder to convince society that, that we have different standards than that. And that's kind of like in the area of how you dress when you go back to your house, who you're seen with in public. Is that kind of what you're talking yes, about? And interactions, not looking men in the eye, not speaking to men unless necessary. Is that something you've gotten used to while living in the Middle East? Yes. Yeah. Do you struggle when you go back to the West to reintegrate and interact with uh, men or mixed communities? No, I think um, for me, I kind of let go of my... <laughs> um, uh, I can more easily readjust back to Western culture. I think that's really amazing. I often... There, there are some things I struggle with as I re-enter. And there are a lot of questions I have when I'm in mixed groups of cross-cultural workers, for example, that often I wonder like, oh, how am I supposed to greet this person? Say we're, we're in a prayer meeting with just all, you know, cross-cultural workers. I think like, oh, you know, in my home culture, I would hug this person, but maybe if I hug them here, it will be inappropriate. Do you know, do you ever wrestle with those or do you feel like you can figure out the, 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 the what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, just kind of intuitively? Both. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's easier than other times. I like I grew up in a very multicultural area. So even when I go back to my home country, the, I, I have to think of how to dress and how to interact with men if they are Arabs or if they are uh, Muslims. So I kind of carry it on with me all the time. Grow growing up in a multicultural home and environment is such a blessing. I wonder, I wonder what the percentage of cross-cultural workers are who have grown up in some sort of cross-cultural community already that kind of greases the wheels for going out into cross-cultural missions. I, I, I want to ask a question about what have you had to give up to come out to the Middle East? And I don't just mean it in kind of this purity or can't interact with men, but in general, as a woman, as a mother, as a wife, as a daughter, as a friend, what, what are the things that you've had to give up in order to move and live in the Middle East? As you said, like inter in interactions with men, being myself and being more relaxed, that is a big thing. And then, of course, there are when we get together with other workers, you can let go of that. You can be yourself. As a mother, of course, this is, I've thought about it, it's a very child loving culture, but mm. it's not a very child friendly environment. 
<laughs> Interesting. So raising kids is very difficult because you have nowhere to go with them. Everything takes a lot of energy. Mm. <laughs> Getting ready to go out of the home and finding a place, going. If you have a stroller, you go up and down the, the broken sidewalks. And um, yeah, and people are trying to touch your kids and you're trying to protect them. And um, yeah, there are no real, if there is a park, there's lots of shabab there, so you don't want to go there. <laughs> um, lots of young guys. Yes. You're kind of confined to taking care of your kids at home. Um, and they need to go out. They need to be social. They need to run. And mm. there are not many places where they can do that in a safe way. That is something, of course, that is a big sacrifice. Um, coming from a country where you have childcare, you have a lot of playgrounds, um, People respect <laughs> that you are the, they, they won't touch your kids unless you have given them permission and so on. Also not having to always um, think of what, because you're always watched here and you're constantly mm. being watched and judged. So just walking down the street, you, there's this tension in the air because your every move is being watched and, and judged. Yeah, but you can get used to it. And also, I, I'm i not spending my time trying to think of, okay, I so wish, you know, I, I gave up being able to climb trees or um, mm. um, running or doing exercise outside or um, I gave this up and it's so difficult. No, because if I think in those in that way, if I have that attitude, it will soon affect my my whole view of life, and I will think, "Oh, life is so hard." I mean, Jesus, he he left his freedom, and he decided to be restricted and become a human mm. and adapt to the cultural rules, even though they were not always correct. He did it for for the sake of identifying with us, and for us to identify with him, so that yeah, we could be saved. Wow, I think that's a great word. I think this, there can be the danger of falling into the trap of thinking about how nice it is back in my home country and how bizarre and bonkers it is here, or how hard it is here. And I think that taking that deliberate decision to say, I don't want to focus on what I have given up. I want to focus on where I'm at and be content there is a powerful word. What about the area of parents? Is it hard to raise your family away from your parents and your husband's parents? Like, is it hard to not have your children around their grandparents or aunts and uncles? I think it's a combination of not having that connection or um, help from grandparents and not having help from society as well. Mm. And also being in a different culture that has different views on how you should raise your kids and trying to figure it out on yourself, all by yourself. So yes, it is difficult. Are there certain areas in the culture that you are willing to kind of meet halfway when it comes to raising your children and other areas where you where you just think like i'm not going to do this i'm not going to feed my kids copious amounts of sugary tea every day for example of course <laughs> of course there are many areas where you uh, where you're like oh i'm so glad i am a foreigner and I can do things <laughs> my way but it's also difficult to explain it to society why you're not doing the way they are doing it but at the same time yes there are things that are beautiful about this culture and it's 
yeah, it's nice to have the freedom to choose what to take and what to reject, mm. both from my home culture and from the host culture. How have you guys decided what to do with your children about schooling? So we have, this is a huge area of trying to figure out what is best for your kids, of course. Yes, my, our kids just started. We had been gone out of the country for a couple of years and came back. We've put our kids in an international school. The only international part of it is that they speak English. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, because all the kids and many of the teachers are locals. Um, mm. But that's, that's a good mix because we would have liked to put them in, in the local school. But the problem is that they don't have Arabic and it would not even be in the spoken Arabic. It would be in the classical Arabic, mm -hmm. <laughs> which means yeah. that they would not know neither what the teacher said nor what the homework was. Um, so we got the advice from wise workers here in the country who have had their kids in both local schools and international schools, um, whose kids have thrived in both, to put them in an international school already. Because English is their third language and Arabic is their third language. Oh, language. man. <laughs> man, God bless you and your whole family. Do you ever worry about, you know how like the culture here is, when it comes to education is very much root root mem memory is that how you say it it's very much about just memorizing the information where in yes. the west maybe it's it's more about, about understanding yes, the uh, yes, information yes. <laughs> do, you, do you ever worry about like what kind of education your children are getting maybe not as much as others worry <laughs> mm -hmm. tell me about that I want my pe my kids to thrive. I want them, of course, to learn things. I want them to be able to go to university. But if we would have put them in a local school where memorization would have been the main focus, um, they would probably last for a few years and then they would have to change to an international school so that they would actually spend their time trying to understand <laughs> things instead mm -hmm. of just memorizing, yes. I want to pivot a little bit and ask you about sexual harassment. Is that okay? I didn't ask okay. you if that's okay yes. to talk about. I know this is a topic that probably all Western women face in the Middle East. I think a lot of Arab women experience it themselves. Mm. Did you ever experience sexual harassment and how did you deal with it? So, um, yes, I experienced sexual harassment. When it first happened, I was quite unprepared for it. It was being touched inappropriately and it mm. happened like three times within a very short period of time. And it's interesting, but our sexuality is so intertwined with I think our identity and our value. So what the devil was able to do through these very quick touches by strangers was he, he was able to make me feel very degraded um, and, mm. and tell me that you are not, you're not worth respect and you are, you're just an object and it's it's very interesting how how that becomes such a an entry for a lot of lies very deep lies that concern our identity um and i was struggling with these things um i was with a 
team of people visiting a Middle Eastern country. And I spoke about it with, I shared about it with a, one of the locals who was um, a believer and who was kind of leading us. And she was very wise. And she said, you know, the devil is trying to make this experience a negative experience for you because he knows that you have something that God wants to use you in a very mighty way. And he wants to stop that from happening. And he wants to stop you from having the full amazing experience that God wants you to have. So let's pray for protection for you that the devil will not be able to bereave you or steal your joy and that he will not be able to, these lies will not have any um, way to grow or to um, nest in your heart. And she prayed over me and it was really, really good. I, I think I still wrestled with it for a while, but just knowing the truth that, you know, this is, these are lies, this is an attack, and this is not the truth of about me and holding on to the truth that, you know, God loves me, I am valuable, I'm not an object, don't let these lies get to you. And I was, and she was right, you know, I had a really amazing experience as I could kind of stand against those mm. attacks from the enemy. Wow, amen. And I mean, it has happened again, but um, I feel that I have been more prepared for it and I've been taught how to respond in a proper way. And that makes knowledge makes such a huge difference. <laughs> what would you say to a young worker who is out on the field in her first year or second year and has experienced a similar thing to you? I would probably do the same as the local believer did, help put things in perspective and also try to to speak against the lies, you know, both that this is not acceptable <laughs> and give some tools and how to react, but also really pray and, and speak truth. You are worth much more and you deserve to be respected and nobody should touch you inappropriate. Nobody should do these things to you and, and pray protection over both mind and body. Do you think we're doing all right when it comes to on an organizational level when it comes to caring for or building awareness of uh, the potential dangers of sexual harassment on the field for women? I'm not sure how organizational it was when I got that training. It, I think it w was my team leaders who who had wisdom and experience and and knew how to inform me and how to prepare me. Um, so I have no idea how others in the organization have been briefed or how they have been instructed. Did your team leaders talk about this before it happened or yes, after it happened? Before it happened. Well, this mm. was, okay, um, the first time I was sexually harassed was to a visit in the Middle East. So this was before mm -hmm. I actually came here to stay. Do you think these kind of experiences, and of course there's a lot of catcalling and so on as well, which is still harassment and still disturbing do you think these these experiences can create animosity towards the host culture absolutely absolutely and i think by reminding myself that our battle is not against flesh and blood that mm. it is the devil that is <laughs> is behind these things and not the people the people who are doing it they are also 
slaves to the enemy and he is hmm. um, enslaved to the lies that he is telling them. Yeah, and focusing my my defense and my counterattack towards the devil, not against people. Wow, that sounds, it sounds very mature. It sounds very spiritually mature. What does it take to keep your spiritual life healthy on the field? I can say that since I became a wife and a mother, it has become increasingly more difficult to guard that time um, with mm. the Lord. And yeah, but it has been humbling that God wants to use me, even though I do not spend as much time with him as I <laughs> maybe would like to. And as I sometimes think I should, I ought to. I think it's interesting that there is no command in the New Testament, for example, for how much time we're supposed to spend in, in prayer, for example. I, I find it interesting that the Lord's prayer is so short. Yeah. I find it interesting that there that there aren't rules of how long we're supposed to be reading our Bible or even how often. Mm. Do you think we are in danger of over-pressuring mothers with four children in the Middle East to keep up a kind of rhythm and routine when it comes to how much you're reading and how much you're praying, for example, that neglects to understand the season of life that you're in at the moment? Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, um, mothers who never found it difficult to take a lot of time praying, reading the Bible, of course, they will have the expectation that it will be as easy for everyone else to, to do the same. So, yeah, of course. Of course, it's easy for us to judge each other, of course. It's easy to us, for us to put pressure on others to do it the same way we are doing or the same way we feel we should be doing. So it's important for us to not compare ourselves with others and not judge ourselves. <laughs> and if, if we can let go of judging ourselves or comparing ourselves with others, we will not be as quick to judge others. Wow, amen. I think that is a beautiful res uh, response. I think... The snare of compare, the, the compare trap is one of the devil's most powerful tools in mm. the life of the Christian. I think the devil loves to use comparing oh, yeah. or compare to crush the souls of believers. Mm, yes. What would you say to the kind of the mere reflection of yourself? What would you say to the mother with three, four, five kids who's struggling to find as much time as they want to in the word and in prayer? How would you comfort them or encourage them? I would probably use my own experiences as an example and say that, you know, I, I felt very bad for a very long time, for many years, that I didn't spend as much time <laughs> praying or reading the Bible. But God is gracious, and actually His command is to abide in Him, <laughs> mm. um, not to read His Word um, daily. I mean, of course, when we read His Word, it helps our thoughts <laughs> to not fall, but we are not less worth just because we don't have time and and, and God knows our situation and he wants us to trust in him. And if we have 10 seconds a day to just call out, Lord, help me, you know, we are connected <laughs> yeah. with God. <laughs> yeah. And to, to lower our expectations on ourselves and, and focus more on 
I would love to just be with God, but I there's no there's no force from him. Uh, he's not forcing me to do so. He's not unhappy with me. Uh, he just loves to be in my presence, and I don't have to. Yeah, and also I I've learned. You know, I many times thought that I needed to fill my time when I had time with God. I needed to fill it with words. I needed to pray. Mm. I needed to say something. But actually, he wants to speak. He wants me to be quiet and listen much, much more than he wants me to speak. Of course, if I have something that I need to tell him, he he wants to listen, but he doesn't want the the time to just be filled with words. And I think there's also a reality that part of your worship to God is being a good mother and raising your children. I mean, this is like, this is ministry. This is, you You in the midst of mothering and parenting and raising your children, God is with you at those times, you know? Mm. It's not this separate thing where if I'm not, if I don't have the Bible open, then God is not with me or I'm not with God or spending time with God. I think these are acts of worship. And I think as well, it's also very important for us to remember what season we're in. Life is full of different seasons and seasons look differently. Then, you know, one season looks different than the, than the other season. And knowing what season we're in, I think can actually give us a bit of rest and to think like, oh, it's okay. I'm not in the season I used to be in. And I'm not going to be in this season forever as well. You know, mm. there's going to be a, there's going to be a time when, when you have more time than you know what to do with once again. You know what I mean? Yes. To have that compassion on your on yourself and to know the season you're in, I think can at least psychologically can take us a long way. I know the day-to-day grind of life still gets in there. And I think it's very important that other people speak that truth over us because being busy as mothers and tired and lack of sleep and the temptation of comparing ourselves with others makes it easy for these lies to come in that I am not doing enough, I am... I should be doing something differently. I should be doing this. So speaking that truth, what you just said over mothers, that their life um, is ministry and a, an act of worship and and so on. That is very important. There should be more of that. Wow. Amen. Amen. I remember when I was a kid, We, I come from a big family. We're seven kids in my family. And I remember my my precious mother trying her best to form some sort of family worship habits. I remember we would read a proverb every morning as as us kids before school, and uh, I just remember like I I would I was the probably the youngest one who had the responsibility of actually paying attention. I had younger siblings who were just too young, you know, of course. But I remember like trying to sit still on that couch while we read a proverb together, you know, my feet were up in the air, my head was on the ground, I had to stay on the couch, you know, but I was moving all over the place and it was absolute chaos and we did this in in starts and stops, you know, and my mother tried many different things, most most things didn't, didn't last for very long. Have you guys tried anything, you and your husband, for example, as a family in like i don't know family prayer or family devotions reading a song together or singing a song together have you guys tried any like to incorporate worship as a family together 
Um, I don't think we've um, attempted much <laughs> um, uh, besides just praying for meal before meals and and reading the Bible and praying before bedtime. But I don't think my family did much more either, and mm. we turned out fine. So I don't have <laughs> I don't have um, greater expectations on myself. That sounds like it's coming from a place of confidence. I like it. <laughs> we can tend to tie our identity to what we're doing as cross-cultural workers. We've been called out into missions. And also we have dreams and desires. We want to see God doing stuff. But if our dependence on God is in our success or failure, of course, we're going to struggle, aren't we? If our dependence is on God and not on our perceived success or perceived failure, yeah. then it's going to we're we're going to have healthier and more sustainable lives on the field. Is there any way you actively just kind of cast your cares on God in in an active dependence? The way I am able to depend on God through failures and success is to. Um, make a lot of mistakes <laughs> and experience how God is gracious and it doesn't affect my relationship to him. It doesn't affect my, my value or, hmm. um, yeah. And I, I probably am very blessed with a home church that doesn't expect me to report numbers. Um, they know hmm. that, you know, um, some people, they are there to prepare the ground and they will never see anything, but faithfulness is what is required. And also n having people around me who, who have been faithful and maybe not seen much mm. and experiencing a lot of failure, as I said, and not much success, but still being reminded maybe sometimes by the word, but sometimes by other people that that's not what God values. I 100% agree with you that not every person is a harvester. Some people are tilling the soil. Some people are throwing the seeds. Some people are harvesting. And, you know, some people harvest where they haven't sown. And so it seems really easy to them. And mm -hmm. some people have tilled the ground and it seems very hard. Yeah. So it is good to remember that, man, God can use us however he wants. And our responsibility is faithfulness. Yeah, I think on my first furlough, going back, I spoke to my cousin and she shared some very wise words. And one of them was that, you know, your grandfather, he was a worker and he was faithful. He didn't see much fruit, but he was faithful. And after he left the field and, and when he was old, others harvested. Hmm. But his role was to be faithful. Yeah, and the secret things belong to the Lord. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. No. In God's wisdom, he hasn't revealed everything to us. I suppose in his kindness as well, he hasn't revealed everything to us. Hmm. You, you know, we, we already talked about a little bit, you know, just raising your, your children, raise your family on the field has, especially in hard places, Everything takes a bit more energy. Yes. Everything from finding a light bulb to yes. screw in to getting yeah. from point A to point B. Everything is just a bit harder. Have you ever dealt with overwhelm or burnout or come, come close to those things? And if so, how did you deal with that? So during my first 
two years on the field. Um, yeah, I struggled a lot and I, um, I went to see a, a counselor actually to kind of figure mm. out w- what was, what was wrong with me. <laughs> um, mm. and the conclusion was quite obvious that, that I was just too stressed and mm. I, I really had to, and so she gave me the, the homework of thinking through what am I doing, what can be, <laughs> what is necessary and what is not absolutely necessary and try to focus. Mm. I'm not so good at setting boundaries and I always think I can do more than I actually have the energy for. My husband has less energy, so nowadays he kind of keeps me... <laughs> keeps the little, balance. Yes, he, he holds me back from getting too overworked or taking on too many things. And sometimes that is difficult (laughs) because there are many things I would like to do, but it's also good to have somebody who keeps me accountable. So right now, I don't think that that kind of stress is, I'm in danger of being overworked or stressed. There might be other stress (laughs) Um, uh, from, yeah, just having a crazy house full of kids. or yeah, as other issues that might um, I may, might be in danger too. Can I drill down a little bit on your experience of overwhelming burnout uh, when you were early early in your time on the field? Yeah, you reached out to a counselor, mm-hmm. and I've I've done the same. I I am very grateful for professional help that I've gotten over the years. Uh, what was it that? kind of broke the camel's back in the end that led you to finally say like I need some advice from a professional I can't remember exactly but I think it was just um, being so tired and not having the motivation I was wondering if I was depressed or not Um, Hmm. there was no joy left so Hmm. yeah and others were also worried for me for my sake Um, and Hmm. and, and somebody I knew, knew about it. Yeah, it, there was somebody who was a counselor that I knew about, so it was kind of easy to mm. reach out. When you're in that place of burnout and overwhelm, wondering kind of like, what's wrong with me? Why don't I have joy anymore? Or like, why do the things that used to give me energy don't? Or why can I not seem to get enough rest to not be tired anymore? I think it's so kind to hear the words of like well maybe you should say maybe you should say no Mm. to some of the things you're doing right now yes to get that from confirmation from others that you know you have the freedom and you it's okay to (laughs) to say no especially as a single person i think Mm. you know where where as a married person you have that other person who's like who can say like, yo, you're, you seem really tired. You need to take a break. Exactly. You know? yeah. Whereas a single, you don't have that. You don't have that person in your life who's maybe going to say to you, why don't you just stay home today? Exactly. And most people don't see what you're doing in, <laughs> during your, in your, yeah, behind mm. closed doors. Well, um, if you're married, you have somebody who sees that you are doing a lot. <laughs> mm, <laughs> and yeah, you don't yeah. have to... Sh- um, show the world that you are doing lots um, to feel mm. affirmed. Yeah, interesting. I interviewed a woman uh, a few episodes ago about singleness and marriedness on the field. 
it was a fascinating conversation i learned so much but just the the differences between how single people see themselves and how single people see marrieds and how married people see themselves and how married people see singles and there's this kind of there can be this gra- the grass is greener on the other side mm-hmm. effect of course you know of course <laughs> both yeah. sides are looking at the other side and saying man it would be better if i was like that (laughs) so it's maybe good also just to be reminded that god is with us and regardless of our marital status uh do you guys do anything as a family when it comes to purposeful rest or or carving in rhythms of rest i think i'm married to the right person who (laughs) needs more rest and whenever there's a free day to just take it easy not plan anything that's kind of happens more naturally than if Mm. I would be on my own or if I would be um, married to somebody with more energy. So that is just the grace of God (laughs) (laughs) in our unplanned um, lives, unintentional. (laughs) Yeah. Are you and your your husband, are you guys able to rest in the same ways or do you feel like you both need different kinds of rest? We can probably rest in the same way, just having a day of like walking around in our pajamas and not really yeah. planning much. Yeah, I think that is restful for both of us. I love those days. We used to take, when I lived in a house of other cross-cultural workers, we used to take Saturdays off and we'd basically just turn our phones off, you know, mm-hmm. not answer the door if anybody knocked and never get out of our our pajamas. It was fantastic. I loved it. Yes. <laughs> incredible incredibly uh, relaxing are you guys ever able to get out like as a family into uh nature i know nature is very limited where where we live but are you guys ever uh, ever able to go out and like have picnics or something yeah i i I think it's more stressful i'm more a nature person and my husband is more a city person We, we we find ways to yeah, we do find find ways to, as a family, go somewhere, um, sometimes to a hotel uh, where there's a pool and really mm. enjoy that. The kids are just very happy the whole time, <laughs> most of the time. Do you feel like you are encouraged by the field or by the team that you're on? I know you've, you've been on teams that haven't been a part of necessarily the organization you're on. Uh, you're with but do you feel like you're encouraged enough in getting the getting the rest you need as as a as an individual and as a as a couple and as a family or do you think that is something that needs to be more proactive from the side of teams and organizations i think it needs to be more (laughs) proactive yes because we tend to go more towards workaholics and overworked and burnout than yeah resting from an organizational perspective, what do you think would be helpful for you to hear or for you as a couple to hear when it comes to rest and vacations and getting away? Would it just be like accountability? Have you guys yeah. gotten away this month? Yes, probably. Yes. The team we're on now made it very clear that once a week, one day a week should be a Sabbath rest. Hmm. So keeping each other accountable, I think, is very important. Man, I think this is an interesting area uh, in field life because I think most people are bordering on the doing too much, not the doing too little. Oh, yes. I wonder as a family, uh, because being a family takes so much effort, 
uh, especially on the field, of course, anywhere it does. But then on the field, you have multiple layers of difficulties added to it. You no longer have extended family. You no longer, like you said, have nice parks to take them to or mm -hmm. children friendly anything anymore. Do you think that families are in danger of becoming uh, isolated? Absolutely. <laughs> and and if so, how can you avoid that? Or how? what are some ideas to avoid that? I struggled with isolation for a number of years after mm. our, our first child was born. It was broken by connecting with other stay-at-home moms and just meeting mm. once a week, um, letting the kids play so that we could actually have a grown-up conversation and one of those moms also asked me to become her accountability partner, which also was a huge way to mm. rescue me out of isolation, to really share life, but not just life, but um, issues with somebody else who could understand and pray together with me. And the other way around, um, feeling that you're actually mm. um, doing something useful, not just for your family and your kids, but you're actually... Uh, ministering to somebody else by praying together and meeting up, giving each other a little bit more energy to continue in the sometimes very tedious task of being a mother. Wow, I think that's so cool. I, I think everybody needs something like, like that. I think it's great if you know moms can get together like that and have children, their children taken care of a little bit so they can have like you said adult conversations mm -hmm. and to have that kind of more deeper one-on-one -on -one relationship with another mother who yes. knows what you're going through and you know what they're going through is uh, is a beautiful thing i know like being a single person on the field and be going from single to married is a massive change and then being married to having children is another massive change what what did that look like for you um as a single person you have you actually have a lot of freedom even if you are in a man-dominated culture and mm. you have a lot of restrictions you still you still have a lot of freedom as a <laughs> as a single woman in this cult mm. culture to yeah you can decide what to do you make your own decisions um how to on how to spend your time and also language learning i'm so glad i i was single when i learned the language because that was much easier than for people who are married or who have a family when they learn the language yeah so you have a lot of freedom within the boundaries of the culture but when you become a wife or a mom there are the freedom shifts mm. so you're not in charge of your you don't have that much time to make decisions on where you want to go or who you want to see or so on um but you have more you're able to have more interactions with families and opposite sex because you're no longer somebody who might become their potential wife or <laughs> or so <laughs> um even, even, even interactions with older women is easier because you're not mm. um being hunted as a wife for their sons <laughs> wow interesting there's also a new world that opens up as you become married or as you become a mother because and people open up to you because they know that oh you know what it's like to be in my situation mm. When you are a mom, you have been single and you have been married, um, you are married. So you have keys 
to help people open up from all these situations. And that is very, very powerful. Mm. It gives you a lot of, a lot of freedom because they can relate to me and I can relate to them or yeah, I can relate to them. So they listen to me. And also there's great freedom in knowing that there's somebody who always loves you and always will stick to mm. you and fight for you, <laughs> you know, no mm. matter how grumpy you are or um, <laughs> no matter what, and you can be yourself. Wow, I like that. I like how you framed each situation, each life situation in the word freedom. There's freedom in being single. There's a different kind of freedom in being married. And then a different kind of freedom in being married with children. I love that. I love that perspective. I think we've had a fantastic conversation today. I know like you are a you're a nurse by profession, is that right? That's correct, yes. And you've been using your nursing on the field as part of your ministry for for years and years and years. You guys are moving into a new a new area of ministering and serving uh and maybe uh, yeah, maybe at another point we can talk about that. Mm. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> 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 it's a very un uncommitted maybe there. But uh, hey, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks so much for being with me. Amen to that. Wow. I hope she changes her mind and decides uh, she wants to come back onto the Practical Missions podcast. Uh, a buddy of mine said, hey, do you think anybody actually makes it to the end of the podcast and hears you say it's okay to be normal? I said, yeah, probably not. So in case you have made it to the end of the pod today, I just want to remind you, it's okay to be normal. <laughs>